Welcome to the Beyond Plants podcast. Today I'm interviewing an old friend of mine. His name is Sean Sherstone, and we talk about weight loss, and we talk about exercise and diet, and he's a pretty interesting guy. He's somebody that I knew from a previous life when we were both photographers, and Sean and I, back then, maybe about 10 years ago, were very different people, much larger people, but also much more sedentary people, and we found similar but not identical paths to living a healthier lifestyle. If you're somebody who's maybe contemplating make a change in your life, maybe around diet or, or exercise, then I think Sean will likely resonate with you. I uh, hope you stay tuned and listen. In particular, he talks about um, his transition to becoming a plant-based athlete and also to um, finding maybe a bit more meaning in his life in regards to his career. If you uh, have listened to our first episode, or my first episode, where I interviewed my daughter, I'm hoping that the audio in this second one is a huge improvement for you. Thanks for sticking with me, even though I know the first podcast's audio was maybe of a poor quality. I'm learning podcasts are a completely different thing for me, rather than the visual art doing the audio is much more challenging, learning the software and learning all the equipment. But I think for the second one, you'll find that the audio is a much better quality. Thanks for tuning in. Hope you enjoy. Welcome to the Beyond Plants podcast, your source for information on health, fitness, and plant-based living. Don't forget to subscribe, share, and check out the show notes for more information on guests and topics. Thanks for listening. Okay, so I'm sitting with Sean. Do you say Sherstone or Surstone? Sherstone. Okay, I always said Sherstone, but sometimes I wasn't sure if I was saying it right. No, just... If you're sure about it. Right. And so we did a podcast and a vlog with you. I was on yours. Yeah. About a week ago. Yeah. And uh, that was fun. And it made me want to do um, mine, even though I, I started I started doing one maybe six months ago. Oh, okay. And then never actually published it or did it. So I have one interview that's recorded. Right. And saved. And mm-hmm. you're number two. Cool. And my thought now is that I'm going to do about four of them and before I start releasing them. Oh, okay. So this won't be up for like a month or so. That's fine. And uh, that'll take the pressure off me from, ha- from feeling like I have to have one out like a week or something like that because I'll, yeah. I'll have some in the bank. Yeah, I've already started feeling that pressure a little bit, but I've, I've let it go. I've let it go. But briefly, and I mean, I'll, I'm going to put a link. Uh, to how people can find that interview that you and I did before. Okay. But uh, sort of a brief history of how we got to know each other. We were both photographers. That's right. right. That's when we first met. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, it was when we first met was when we were both photographers. And uh, you were coming to different photo clubs that that I was involved in as well, and we met. And Mm -hmm. we were both much different people back then. Yeah. (laughs) Quite a bit different. And... Um, I found it really interesting hearing you talk about it because I, I guess I've never looked back in history at what re- the relationships and friendships that I had back then, for, uh, what they look like in the context, the same relationships that I have now. Mm-hmm. So you put that, you, you framed that really well. And just to catch people up a bit, you've lost, um, over 100 pounds, I know that. Yeah, 120 pounds. 120 pounds. And when we both knew each other, we were much heavier mm-hmm. and probably a little bit less healthy. Um, well, I don't know about you, but I know I was a lot less healthy. <laughs> right. And uh, 
there was a time when I went started going through a change, and you witnessed the change, mm-hmm. and you at some point made your own efforts at changing your life, and I really want to get into like the details of that at some point. Sure. But I felt like when the last time we talked, and you and I have talked about this privately before, that uh, we sort of brushed over the whole, what was the catalyst for change before. Right. You know, and so I, I wanted to really start today, because I think there's a lot of podcasts out there and a lot of yeah. interviews that talk about is particular weight loss, and it almost yeah. becomes um, almost mundane, right? Because it's common, right? Right. But I'm super interested in what makes, what advice to give to people that are are stuck in this cycle of of random diets and losing weight and gaining weight and being on yo-yo diets or having trouble starting. Mm-hmm. And I'm super interested in trying to help help them do what you did. Yeah. And and I want to talk about the health stuff later, but right now I just really want to focus on weight loss mm-hmm. because. For one thing, it's it's clear that even um, setting aside all the reasons, the vanity reasons why somebody might lose weight, right? That there's a lot of health reasons why you might want to lose weight because people that are of a normal a normal weight tend to live longer and tend to live healthier. Would you agree? Oh, definitely, yeah. I would think so. I mean, so, I feel like I have ten more years in my life now. Yeah. So, like, what I really want to start with is you giving a picture of what made you, but can you narrow down what made you start your journey to an exact moment? Yeah, I can actually think to the exact moment. And that exact moment for me was I had been going through sort of a a down period in my life. I was sitting on the couch and just binge watching YouTube. Uh, like and you know other things other shows like netflix youtube just basically sitting there eating crap Mm -hmm. and binge watching all this stuff and one of the things that i was binge watching was casey neistat on youtube Mm -hmm. and in casey neistat's vlogs or you know his his youtube videos he earlier on in his in his uh episodes he actually had a like a component of running and he would show him running and he would show things about what he was seeing during his runs and he would show his his stats on his runs and and it was something that intrigued me and I saw him doing this on a regular basis and he also had a story about how he got into this accident uh, with a scooter broke a whole bunch of bones in his legs and he was told he was never going to run again and he ran a marathon, I think, eight months later. And it was mm-hmm. just, it was very inspiring for me to see that, even though I had never thought of myself as a runner, I'd never thought that I would ever want to do anything like that because I was a very sedentary person. Did you have any context for what a marathon was or what no, he was doing? Not really. I mean, I kind of knew distance-wise, but, I mean, every time I tried to run in previous times was when I was in high school and, they, you know, they make you run in the field. And it's just an absolute unbearable, painful thing. And I hated it. Mm-hmm. So Running yeah. is every other sport's punishment. Yeah. So why I even was interested in this, I don't know exactly. But I think it was a combination of two things. It was one, it intrigued me that he was able to overcome injury and, and, and do this type of running. And 
he enjoyed it, as well as he inspired me to want to actually start a YouTube channel. And I thought, well, if I'm going to start a YouTube channel, what am I going to talk about? Right. Sitting on the couch watching YouTube? Mm-hmm. Nobody's going to be interested in that. Oh, I bet you there's YouTube channels for that. Probably. <laughs> there's, there's ones where people sit on their couch and play video games, right? Yeah, I guess. Yeah, sure. You know, like for me, Sean, and I know you've started a vlog, one of the biggest reasons that I write on a website and why I intended to start a podcast is that I have a strong belief that it's important to live part of your life in service to other people, mm-hmm. right? And what I'm hoping is that that there's one or two people out there that listen to this podcast, the one with you and whatever ones, other ones I might do and say... Um, if, if that guy can do it, I could probably do it as well. And it gives them some sort of a motivation to change. Right. But as I mentioned to you before, I think inspiration is, is lacking somehow. I don't, I don't always, I think there's a disconnect between, um, you know, people being inspired and people doing. Like people tend to bounce between inspirations, but never actually convert that into action. So I'm sort of curious about what your thoughts are on that. So what was my converting into action? Well, I mean, I sat there and thought, okay, I've got to do this, but I can't do this all at once. There's just, all at once is just asking for failure. Mm-hmm. So I set small goals to begin with, and that was that I decided I was going to walk to work every day. Mm-hmm. And I live on a, on a hill in Ladysmith mm-hmm. that is half a kilometer from where I worked. Mm-hmm. Going down was easy. Going back up, home... It was a little bit harder, well, mm-hmm. quite a bit harder at the beginning. So that, that was my first commitment to myself was that I was going to walk to work every day. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, it wasn't that big a step, but I didn't walk to work before that. I mean, I would drive to work even though it was only half a kilometer away. Right. So once I made that commitment and that habit became something that was regular, mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. said, okay. Mm-hmm. Great. I'm now regularly walking to work. I've achieved that commitment. When did you achieve it? Like, when did you say, okay, this is, I've achieved this? Probably about a month after. Right. I mean, you know, you do uh, research throughout this whole thing. And one of the things that I research is is like, when does a habit get formed? Typically within about 30 days, 30 Mm -hmm. to 90 days, Mm -hmm. I guess, 60 days. So after about a month, I felt, okay, I'm, I'm doing this. I feel committed. I'm not going to stop. Mm-hmm. What's the next step? Okay. And the next step was walking farther. So then I started walking in evenings with, with my wife, Deanne. And we tried to, uh, my, my ramp up was to try and walk. My next goal was try and walk five kilometers on a regular basis. So once I achieved that, then the next step was, walk seven kilometers on a regular basis and i think that before i started to run i was walking i think almost at least 10 kilometers twice or twice a week i would say it's quite a lot yeah Yeah. it is quite a lot but it was also in conjunction with losing weight i mean and the the exercise part wasn't something that made me lose weight I think that that was what increased my health and got my blood moving and, and made me feel better. Mm-hmm. But I, it certainly was a very small component to losing weight. Losing weight was eating less. So I find that 
interesting, but I also, I still feel like there's something missing. Okay. Because you're talking about what sort of, like, it makes sense to me how you got started. Mm-hmm. But I, I want you to sort of like imagine somebody driving in their car right now listening to this podcast. Right. And maybe they're 120 pounds overweight mm-hmm. like you were. And um, they're contemplating change. And they start something. Maybe they start a diet or maybe they get a gym membership or maybe they start walking like you did. But right. in, invariably, and I don't really know what the percentages are, most people quit sometime in there but something something didn't let you quit now you said you went 30 days or whatever and it formed a habit Mm -hmm. but i mean you and i both know plenty of people that do something for a while and then just stop so i like have you and i'm not asking you to solve this mystery because i don't know if everybody has but can you put your thumb on what made you keep going like what was there what was the motivation i think the biggest motivation was i was 48 and I was starting to feel like if I didn't do something then, that I would just die early. Right. And maybe the fear of dying early. And, you know, I actually imagined myself dying and somebody having to figure out what kind of casket was this big person going to fit in. Right. I had those visions in my head. Mm -hmm. You know, like... You know, obviously, they probably make big caskets, but it's, why am I thinking about something that really has no consequence to me after I'm dead anyways? But it made me feel like, um, was it shame or was it like, uh, was it more of like the pain you were going to cause the people you were leaving behind or what was it? Um, I don't know if it was really shame. I think it was just you know, if I'm going to feel that way, why I feel sorry for myself about it, just do something about it. Mm-hmm. Um, what kept me going? You know, it, it, funny enough, it, as I started, it got to a point where I actually enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Uh, once you get past the point, like you hit that habit, yeah. And you get past a certain point, you're, it, it becomes something that you, you crave. Yeah. Like you, so, I mean, once you get to that point, mm-hmm. it's easy. How long can you go now without running before, you, before your mood changes or you feel upset that you haven't run? <laughs> That's something I have to work on. Probably about three days, maybe. Mm-hmm. And then I start to like, ah, why, why am I not running? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. but, That's about the same for me. On the third day. Yeah. Yeah, things, I'm not happy. Uh, And currently, that only really happens if I'm trying to make sure that I don't make an injury worse or something Mm -hmm. like that. I'll take an extra day off or an extra two days off. That doesn't make sense to a lot of people that aren't regular exercisers. No, no, I don't think it does. But, you know, it's just getting past that habit. Mm -hmm. Once you get past that habit, then you... It's, it, you're enjoy, you enjoy it. What was the trigger? What made me push through that habit? Um, like I said, I think it was me feeling like I'm 48, I'm going to be turning 50 soon. My life is, you know, what, what have I done? 
with my life other than like physically mm-hmm. except nothing except sit on the couch you could see a clear path ahead yeah that you didn't like exactly i didn't like that path i didn't want to be sitting on the couch eating doritos with m&ms in it anymore it was not something i enjoyed have you ever heard the the sort of notion that for a change to occur, the pain of staying the same has to exceed the pain of change. So, you know, for somebody to finally make a change in their life, there's going to be some nervousness about that. They're not Mm going to want to exercise. They're not going to want to change their diet. They're not going to want to change their lifestyle because all those things are initially rather uncomfortable. Right. But if at some point the pain that you're experiencing in your life, whether it's emotional or physical exceeds that pain that you're going to have to put out to make that change, then the motivation becomes obvious. Do you think that that's something that you, is that a point that you hit? Like what was, what did it feel like to be 120 pounds heavier? Was the pain too great? Well, it it wasn't painful to be 120 other than the fact that I did get injuries very easily. I mean, at that time I was nursing um, a bad rotator cuff uh, how that happened, I don't remember exactly, but mm-hmm. I couldn't even sleep on my side then because yeah. it, it hurt so much. And within a month of me walking, that started to clear up. And I, mm-hmm. the only thing I can attribute that to is blood flow throughout my body, mm-hmm. you know, instead of just doing nothing. How did it feel emotionally to be 120 pounds heavier? And I think that might be the biggest trigger right there is that emotionally, I mean, and it's not something that I talk about in public very much, but mm-hmm. I struggle with an up and down in my, in my, my psyche. Mm-hmm. You can call it depression, you can call it whatever you like, mm-hmm. depression, anxiety. But I, when I was heavy, I really struggled with that. Right. I mean, I would go through you know, a month of two weeks of being in a, this down cycle, and then I'd be you know, feeling kind of normal, but mm-hmm. those down cycles were very, very painful in my psyche. And once I started to get past... Um, the, the, you know, the habit of building up and, do, and doing you know, regular movement, just mm-hmm. movement, walking, mm-hmm. it actually made that better. You know, I'm, I, I can, my psyche is so much better now. Mm-hmm. Like my, my mental, how I feel on a mm-hmm. daily basis, mm-hmm. I, I, I just wake up and everything is so much more positive. Right. Like life is better. Mm-hmm. So, once I got to that point and realized, hey, this is, this is actually helping this, then not only am I physically addicted to, to, to doing the, the exercise, I'm mentally addicted to it. Right. And it was just amazing. And I, I think that's the biggest takeaway. I think that you've nailed it. I mean, I don't know if we're ever going to figure out what uniquely pushes every single person in the world to make a big change, yeah. but, or even to make a small change. But, I mean... The, once you've gained a bit of motion, you will feel better, mm-hmm. you know, and nowadays in particular with mental health, I think that we're, we're at a crisis point where society isn't just mostly obese. I don't even know remember what the latest stats are on, on obesity, but they're mm. shocking. Right. But I think people are also suffering for massively higher rates of depression, anxiety, and different things like that. And movement we haven't even started talking about diet yet, but movement is probably one of the greatest cures without side effect. Yeah, I, I have to agree with that. 
and not only movement but movement in the outdoors and in nature mm-hmm. if you if if you can get to a treed area mm-hmm. and and move yeah in that area yeah it's amazing it's absolutely amazing how you feel so much better yeah i shared with you yesterday when we were on a run and uh sean and i did a really uh, epic run yesterday in, in the first snowfall that we've had on Vancouver Island this year. I think yeah, that was much. Well, I think we had one small one before right. that. And anyways, we had a beautiful run and, um, I shared with you that I've been taking a small group of young men out on nature hikes recently and mm-hmm. that, um, every one of them without fail has, uh, an anxiety issue. Right. And what I've been finding is that there's very little that I have to do that once we're out in nature, conversation generally sort of falls off at some point. The nervousness falls off. And uh, you can see this sense of calmness coming over them. And I'll even get them to stop and, and take their hands and put them on a tree and, and things like that. And, and I'm not much one for, um, I don't know what the word is, but I guess sort of, you know, woo-woo science. Or, <laughs> you know, That's funny. I was thinking the exact same thing. Were you? Thing. Yeah. I mean, I shy away from that stuff because I think there's still a, re- a residual sort of, um, you know, no nonsense blue collar guy in me, but it works. Mm-hmm. Like I really feel that and, and I can see it when I'm out with these young men and it's like you were just talking about being out in nature and they, you know, I can just see their anxiety just dripping off their bodies, right? right? And just almost being erased. It comes back for sure, oh, yeah. when they re-enter the world, you know, and they, they're out in the community, but mm-hmm. um, it's a break from it. Yeah, I think they've actually done studies of people walking in, in nature, and they've, they've, those studies have conclusively, you know, come to a conclusion that, that it makes people feel better, yeah. regardless of, uh, you know, what they're doing in nature. They can just mm-hmm. be walking, they can be running, they can be you know, just sitting in nature, they're, they're, they do feel better. I think if that idea resonates with anybody and it sounds plausible to them and they want to learn more, <clears throat> there's this book that I read on, and um, it's read, written by Sid Garza Hillman. I'm just going to put this in there so that I don't forget to mention it in the links later. Um, anyways, it's called Approaching the Natural, and he has at least a chapter in there where he talks about something called grounding. Right. And I think that's a, a good resource to go in and learn a little bit more about that. So we've covered, I guess, how it felt for you to to be that different person mm-hmm. and and how you your change started. Right. Um, you know, I, I look at... I, have you ever heard that notion where you have a sculptor and he's carving a statue and, he's, and he, the artist is looking at this block of stone... Mm-hmm. And they don't see a block of stone. They already see the statue within it. And they're just revealing it. Right. I feel a little bit like that with weight loss. Like I agree. It's not your true yeah. body that you're walking around in. And, you know, you just reveal it as you lose weight. Yeah, that's very true. And one of the, one of the ways that I, I was actually able to set goals in my mind is actually envision myself how I wanted to look mm-hmm. when I got to this this place of, of an end, but you know, in the end, there is no end. You're always constantly moving forward. Yeah. Um, always constantly growing and, and going to that next level. Mm-hmm. But 
I had to envision something so that I had a goal, and that goal was how I wanted myself to look. Yeah. Uh, and that really helped. And, I mean, it's funny now. I, I could look at myself in the mirror and I go, it's a, you know, it's amazing that mm-hmm. I that I see the vision I had mm-hmm. back when I was 120 pounds heavier. Mm-hmm. It, I would have, I mean, I believed it then. And I think that that's one of the reasons why I was able to achieve it is I actually truly believed I could do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that might be partly the important thing is that you have to actually truly believe what you are wanting to achieve mm-hmm. and envision that, that end goal. Because if you doubt yourself, that doubt is always going to be saying, ah, you can't do it. You're not good enough. Mm-hmm. Why bother? Why, why take the effort? Because, you know, you're never going to get there. And I, I actually believed it. There's a popular notion out there right now that all of this talk that we've been carrying on with is um, all a sort of a pursuit of vanity. Um, you know, that people need to be okay with where they are and no matter where they are. And there's this notion of body shaming and things like that. Mm-hmm. And both of us used to be heavier, and now we're, you know, rather thin. Um, but I, I wonder if you have thoughts on, you know, like, is was the change for you vanity, or was it something else? Well, I think I'd be lying if I said partly it was not vanity. Like, if, if, if I said no, it had nothing to do with vanity. I think that partly that there was a vanity thing to it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think everybody wants to look good, mm-hmm. but... It wasn't the large component. Mm-hmm. It was more, for me, it was more about feeling better and living longer mm-hmm. and actually achieving something other than nothing sitting on the couch type of thing. I mean, mm-hmm. but yeah, I would be lying if there, if that, if, if I didn't, if I said that there was no, no component of that. You see, in this case, I actually think we can have our cake and eat it too. Probably I shouldn't use cake as an example when we're talking about well, as long loss, as it's but... vegan cake. <laughs> <laughs> That's the first time that word's come up. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I actually believe, and you know, I, I do a lot of reading on spirituality and things like that, and I actually believe in the notion that everybody is actually perfect. That we don't have there's no need for us to change because as you are right now, whether you're 300 pounds or 100 pounds, whether you're an athlete, whether you're sedentary, mm-hmm. whether you're, you know, a scientist or whether you're, you know, a sanitary worker, or whatever you are, you're mm-hmm. perfect just exactly how you are. And that sounds a bit silly, but in some ways, but when you actually accept it, it's very freeing. Yeah. And, 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 and like, just to, like, I just want to like rope that into, the whole weight loss and body shaming issue. There's no need for us to change our bodies should we not want to. And everybody, and I believe in accepting people as they are. Right. Or where they choose to be. Right. But I also think that we've been given these bodies similar to like we've been given the keys to a car. Mm -hmm. And it's up to us to choose how we enjoy them because we are not our bodies. Like, you know, you sitting across this table from me right now are, are not the body that you're sitting in. Right. You're, you're something else, right? Uh, you're a collection of, of thoughts and experiences and personalities. Right. And the body is just the car that you're riding in. So 
to get the most out of that car, what we want to be doing is putting in premium fuel, and that's where we're going to get talking about nutrition. Right? right. We're also going to want to wash it every once in a while, and we're going to want to, you know, put on new tires, and we're not going to want to try and pull a 5,000-pound trailer with it, <laughs> right? And that's sort of where I get at with it's not necessarily a pursuit of vanity. It's a pursuit of an optimal life. Yeah, definitely. I, I agree. I mean, and I, it wasn't like I was unhappy with my size so much yeah i would just was overly overall unhappy with my how i chose to continue to live mm -hmm. and i was unhappy with that i mean I, I never had anybody come up to me well that's not true i mean i did have experiences in my life where where like young kids that have no inhibitions at all would say mm -hmm. something Mm -hmm. about how heavy I was. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, people, I never felt judged being mm -hmm. heavy. Uh, so but it's normal nowadays, do you think? It may be what, how, how many years ago was this? Mm, for, well, for me, it's coming up three years now. So I would argue that, like, I mean, it's, it's more normal to be overweight now than it is to be thin. You're a pretty thin person right now, right? now just objectively looking at you right right and that would make you probably stand out more in today's culture than um being overweight do people ever comment on your weight now um well people that knew me before comment um mm -hmm. when i was going through the through my journey and had lost you know after i had hit probably 80 plus pounds of loss mm -hmm. The first thing people would look at, because they were worried, like, their their experience of people losing weight is usually because of illness, mm -hmm. and they look at me and they go, "Are you are you okay? Mm -hmm. Are you sick?" Yeah, and that was the reaction I got from people a lot that knew me before. Mm -hmm. People that n never known me before, mm -hmm. they just you know this is who I am. So, so strangers don't tend to comment. Strangers don't comment on, on my weight at all. Yeah. Um, and see, I get that fairly often. Do even you? From, even from people I barely know, comments on, on how thin I am. Interesting. It, it doesn't offend me, but it's something yeah. I notice. Um, Is even even as, of as of late, like in the yeah. last six months? It's happened today. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. I, I, and it's, just, it's a noticing thing for me. Huh. Right. Um... Yeah, I, I don't have people comment on, on how thin I am. Mm -hmm. But, and you know, maybe it was something that's always the inside voice in your head when I was heavier. Mm -hmm. But I always felt like people looked at me differently. Um, now I don't feel that way. Hmm. It's kind of weird. Hmm. Maybe, maybe it's just another component of, of having the endorphins running through my head is <laughs> less self-doubt well hopefully something in there uh really is helpful to whoever's out there contemplating making a change yeah right and and i would say that definitely people have noticed you and what you've done mm -hmm. and they're going to come and ask you how you did it and does that that happens right that has happened quite a bit yes yeah and what's your answer 
I tread lightly with my answer because you, I, when I first started to give people the answer, mm-hmm. the, they would immediately deflect back. And it's like, oh, I can't do that. Or mm-hmm. like, oh, really? Okay. I, I thought there was an easy, like the attitude I would get, it was I thought there was an easy way to do this. Right. And my answer at the beginning and still is, is eat less, mm-hmm. move more. Mm-hmm. That's that simple. Yeah. <laughs> do you well? So, what's your what's your opinion on the state of the diet industry right now? You know, uh, and, and I'm not saying you're part of the diet industry. I'm just yeah. you. You you've clearly spent some energy and time thinking about all this stuff, right? And, and you see the same stuff everybody else does. Mm-hmm. All the advertisements and the the magazine articles and the media and what's your what's your opinion of what's what's going on for it? Well, I think it will, at least half of it is there to make money and really has nothing to do with health. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's so many fad diets. There's so many, you have to buy this supplement. You have to buy mm-hmm. this thing to, to, to achieve your goals. Mm-hmm. You don't need any of it. All yeah. you need is some will. Yeah. And, I mean... Even even going to the gym, all these people they think they need supplements. Mm-hmm. In some cases, I think the supplement actually is worse than if they didn't take it at all. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I actually had planned to talk to you about supplements a bit later, so okay. I'm not going to do the spoiler on that. But okay, um, I mean, there's a there's a lot of fad diets out there, and they they come and go. And even in three years, I bet you've seen some come and go. Uh, yeah, yeah. I I can remember. And I don't remember the name of who it was, but she was blonde and she had spiky hair and mm-hmm. she had this big book and mm-hmm. it was a, I, 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 she was, it was all about, I can't even remember if it was a diet or if it was exercise, but I just, that was one thing I do, did remember. And mm-hmm. I, I think that was the beginning of my realization of the, the exercise industry is back then, mm-hmm. um, that they're all they're they're designed to get money Mm -hmm. it's about money and and people out there are looking for the answer that has the least friction because it doesn't there's not a lot of friction in taking a pill no Um, and if i tell you that you can lose all this weight in five minutes of exercise a day that sounds like sort of less friction Mm -hmm. and if i tell you you can lose 10 pounds in 10 days that sounds like less friction i mean Mm -hmm. never never mind that that might all be water weight yeah. Right. Um, so, you know, as human beings, I think we're always looking for the path of least resistance. And it's not a knock on human beings, it's just an animal instinct, right? We're yeah. going to try and do things the most efficiently and easy way we can. Right. Right. And the answer that I think that you're probably giving, eat less, move more, first of all, sounds too easy in that, too simplistic, I mean, not easy. It is and, a simplistic view of it, right? yes. And also um, is not at all sexy. No. No, it's not sexy. But I bet you I could write a book on it and, and make it sexy. Well, yeah, but I mean, lots of people do that. <laughs> exactly. You know, like if I went to the bookstore right now and walked through the health and fitness sec- section, there'll be all kinds of promises on the cover of shiny books. Mm-hmm. Right? And usually what they'll do is they'll, they'll focus on something that sounds super interesting. You know, there's the there's a 
big popular book out right now. I'm not afraid to sort of say who, what it is. It's called The Plant Paradox. Okay. Right, where they're this doctor, I don't know what kind of doctor he is, but is telling people to not eat their vegetables because they contain anti-nutrients and things like that. Well, I'm glad I didn't you know, find that book. And it's the, <laughs> you know, but before that there was, you know, Wheat Belly where gluten was to blame for everything. And, mm-hmm. you know, so, but when you, you just pick on one thing, you know, I don't know. It seems like it's easy to sell these books. I think it's because everybody's always searching. They're, they're searching for that. Like you said, the, the quick fix, the, the easy mm-hmm. answer, the, the, the hack. Mm-hmm. There's no such thing as a hack. It's mm-hmm. it's the long road, mm-hmm. um, and the long game. Yeah. And I think once you're willing to accept that it's a lifestyle change, yeah. not I'm going to go on a diet for sixty days and woo, that's it. So you're not on a diet. No, I'm on a a lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Um, it's how I've chosen to live my life, and that choice resulted in less weight. Mm-hmm. And feeling a hell of a lot better. Well, what's the difference for somebody listening to this? What's the difference between a diet and a lifestyle? I think a diet is something that you choose to cho- to eat differently and to to move differently mm-hmm. for a short period of time, and then you say, "Okay, I've I've achieved that goal," and then you go back to what you were doing before, right. thinking that you that's going to stick. Yeah, it doesn't stick. It may stick for six months, a year, two years, whatever. But it, eventually, it's all going to come back. Right. And I think our bodies fight back and and make it come back even worse in some cases. Mm-hmm. Enter the yo-yo diet. Right. Well, and so a lifestyle then you would say is a complete change of behavior with no return to the previous behavior. Um, I think that. Is there some return to the previous behavior? Probably. I mean, I still sit on the couch and watch YouTube, but yeah. I, you know, I, I do it a hell of a lot less than I used to. Mm-hmm. I mean, so it's not the norm. No, definitely not. In fact, sometimes I'll sit and start watching a a movie, and I think, oh, there's something better I should be doing. <laughs> I'll just go and do that. But there's some things that are more absolute for you now. Some things that you will not return to, or you have no intention to, right? And that would be. And I think it's time to maybe start talking about, you know, the nutrition part of it. But that mm-hmm. would be that you've eliminated all animal products from your diet. Yeah, and that was a choice that I slowly moved myself into. Um, I originally started with eliminating ground beef mm-hmm. from my diet. But I still ate fish and I still ate chicken. Mm-hmm. Um, and I still ate a lot of cheese. Mm-hmm. Tons and tons of cheese. I love cheese. Yeah. Loved cheese. Um, and that happened probably six or... No, probably, yeah, six six to seven years ago is mm-hmm. when I started to, to change that. And, and part, of, part of it was Deanne, my wife, making mm-hmm. choices about not buying certain things. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, was I unwitting about it? Maybe partly, but I enjoyed um, having other things in my diet um when i actually consciously went from what i considered myself almost vegetarian Mm -hmm. to eliminating all animal products was about six months into my decision to to lose weight right um 
So why that? Why, why a plant-based diet? I mean, there's lots of diets out there. I know it's not a diet, but why? There's lots of things you could have tried nutritionally. Why, why a plant-based one? Well, you were partly a uh, something that, you know, in my, in my brain, mm-hmm. I knew about what you had chosen to do, and I, and I had seen the results. Mm-hmm. Uh, I ran into several other people in my life that were plant-based, and those people, there was something that I saw something positive in them. Mm-hmm. And I saw that they had a positive change in their life. So it was something that made me want to try it, at least. And once I started to feel better doing no dairy, mm-hmm. and no animal products, it was something that I thought was very positive and to, to continue with. When you say feel better... How exactly did you feel better? I mean, aside from weight loss. Um, well, one of the things that I used to have really, really bad, like this is just one minor example, and it's not even so much a physical feeling better, but one, one example is I used to have really, really bad dandruff to the point where I'd have mm-hmm. to use dandruff shampoo mm-hmm. daily. Mm-hmm. And I would get like sores on my head if I mm-hmm. didn't wash my head hair daily. Mm-hmm. Um, really bad flakes and everything like that. Mm-hmm. Now, because I and I'm pretty sure it's not beca- because of no dairy in my in my diet. Hmm. I I don't even have to wash. I wash my hair once a week now. Hmm. Interesting. And my scalp is. I don't really know if I still have dandruff or not. But that's I don't, a new one. I've never heard that one before. Yeah, but, but I mean, I've, skin issues are commonly linked to dairy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and the other thing is acne. I used to mm-hmm. have really well. Even even when I was in my 40s, I would get acne on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Now, if I have it, it's because I've had something with a lot of oil in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but otherwise, no, not very much acne at all. Mm-hmm. Skin cleared up. But physically feeling better, um, me- mentally feeling better, mm-hmm. I just felt better. And I think it was a combination of obviously movement, but also I'm I'm pretty sure... That if I eat something now that is like high in sugar or high in fat, like mm-hmm. oil, mm-hmm. fat, mm-hmm. I can feel the difference. Yeah. Um, so it's not just that you're plant-based, you're whole foods plant-based. Would that be a better description? Yeah, you know, that would like be a better you, description. Yeah. You try and avoid processed food and that would include oil? I try and avoid it. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly not perfect with it. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I there are still some things that we have oil in, but mm-hmm. I try and minimize it as much as possible. Um, as far as processed, probably the only processed thing now that I eat is mm-hmm. um, a granola bar type thing that is, yeah. you know, that is plant-based. Uh, and that's more out of convenience than anything else because I can certainly make my own granola bars. I just don't. Not always, anyways. Oil has a, a bit of a health halo right now. Uh, I noticed dying off a little bit, but mm-hmm. you know, there's the idea that olive oil is part of the Mediterranean diet and is therefore healthy because that's shown to be such a healthy diet. And there's the really large trend around two oils that are pretty high in saturated fat right now, and that's uh, avocado oil and coconut oil. Right. So you don't you don't tend to eat those. Typically, no, and in- definitely not avocado oil. I find that too expensive, anyways. Right. So wh- why why though why eliminate it when so many people find it healthy? Because there's no, well, one, it's processed. Yeah. And two, there's not really a need for it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I mean, I can get healthy fats from nuts. I can get healthy fats from from the actual avocado. Mm-hmm. I can get healthy fats from shredded coconut. Yeah. You know, I don't have to have it in an oil. <laughs> I, I just didn't want to sort of like, inf- inf- I was curious about what your thoughts were on it because I feel the exact same. But I, I you know, to me, like, there's there's pieces of the of the food that we're missing when we strip out one component of it, right? Yeah. So if we eat coconut oil, we're not eating actually a coconut. Right. And we eat avocado oil, we're not eating an avocado. So there's things that are missing out of that, and all mm-hmm. we're doing is just taking out that fat component. Right. So, you know, nutrition to me is way more... If, in one way, it's way more simple than, than people make it out to be. You know, like we just need to eat whole foods. That's really as hard as it needs to get. But another way, it's way more complicated mm-hmm. because we like to think that all we need is to get more vitamin D and get more this and get more that. But, but there, there's something going on within whole foods that I don't think nutritional science explains entirely yet. Like when you eat uh, an apple, there's more going on than if you just eat apple juice or drink apple juice, right? Either. Well, yeah, I mean, apples can be like apple juice on its own is has a lot of sugar and yeah. so does an apple but at least if you eat it as an apple you're getting the fiber from that fruit mm-hmm. and it balances everything out i guess that's a good segue into talking about carbohydrate fear and i think before that, we go there though yeah i wanted to you 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 said vitamin d yeah and it made me think of something um before probably about three years before i had decided to to lose weight or decided to change change the way i, lo- I lived um, I went to the doctor and got a physical mm-hmm. and he, you know, checked all my levels, my blood, blood levels and everything. And one, I was surprised that everything was normal. My blood mm-hmm. pressure was normal. Everything else was normal. Mm-hmm. The two things that he told me was mm-hmm. one, you can't be out in the sun long enough without getting cancer to get enough vitamin D. So take vitamin D supplements. Mm-hmm. And he told me to take 4,000 milligrams Per day. Wow, that's a high dose. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's four, you know, one thousand mm-hmm. IU units yep. of, of uh, and, and really, if because you, the if RDA you do, is a thousand a day, right? The recommended that, daily. Maybe yeah. so, but I mean, if you do the research, you mm-hmm. can go up to I think twelve thousand mm-hmm. without it being mm-hmm. considered bad. Anyways, he told me to take four thousand a day, mm-hmm. and lose weight. Mm-hmm. Well, back then, I kind of chuckled to myself. Yeah, lose weight. <laughs> whatever mm-hmm. but that was the one thing you were deficient in was vitamin d vitamin well it wasn't he didn't really specifically say i was deficient in it mm-hmm. but i think that he thought it was important mm-hmm. because vitamin d does so many things about how our body right. absorbs other things yeah um so i did this i went out and you know luckily vitamin d is cheap mm-hmm. um um, that's one thing that uh, we can talk about vitamin D later, but w- whatever. Vitamin D is cheap. So I, I took these 4,000 units. Within one year, mm-hmm. well, actually within six months, just doing that alone, mm-hmm. I felt better. Hmm. And it was amazing. Interesting. So I think that might have been one trigger into my realization that a small change in direction of... Hmm. You're, you're, even a little step can make a difference. A, even a little step made a difference. Yeah. And that little step probably opened up a door in my brain that said, okay, mm-hmm. make another little step. Make yeah. another little step. 
Now, for people that don't know where we are, we do live in essentially a rainforest, and <laughs> we get rain about six months of the year here, right? Sometimes. So not a lot, not a terrible, terrible lot. Of, I mean, we, I'm surprised we're not moldy. We get not a ton of sunshine. Would you, you know? Yeah, although the last couple summers we've had a lot, but yeah, mm-hmm. for the for the most part, you're right. All right. Well, I kind of want to do a bit of a dive into supplements at the end, but I, I, but I also don't want to skip over the carbohydrate talk because right now in 2019 and, and probably for the last year and a half or so, uh, most people are terrified of carbohydrates. Okay. I don't don't understand why, but okay. Well, I know that you predominantly eat carbohydrates. I do. And the notion out there right now is that carbohydrates make you fat. And what's your response to that? Well, if they make, do they make some people fat or they, do they just make everybody fat? I don't know. They certainly don't make me fat. Mm -hmm. Um, I ate carbs before, Mm -hmm. but I ate a hell of a lot more carbs, um, chips, you know, bad carbs, carbs that are probably not good for you, but they're also laced with a bunch of fat and all this other stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, but they certainly haven't, I didn't have any problem losing weight throughout any of my journey by eating carbs. Um, and I think that it made me be, you know, the fact that I ate so many carbs, mm-hmm. about 65% in my diet, it gave me the energy to do the movement that I was doing. Right. And I think that's key. I think that, you know, when people go on a low carb diet, there's an initial boost of energy, but maybe not a sustainable one or a long-term one. And, you know, I mean, where our body's preferred fuel is glucose, mm-hmm. right? So, and when you say carbs, you don't, you, you're not, ta- are, you t- are you talking about Mars bars and, um, you know, soda pop and things like that? Because no. I know you're not, but no. I mean, I just feel yeah. like it's important to differentiate to people what kind of carbs you're eating. My favorite carb is oats. oats. Rolled oats. Rolled oats. That's my favorite carbohydrate. I absolutely love oats in anything. Do you know what your cholesterol is right now? I don't. I should I should actually go back to the doctor and get another physical, but I, I, my cholesterol was normal before, so it can't be any worse now, I don't think. I, I, I thought of that just because you mentioned oats. Yeah. And, um, you know, people that consume a lot of oatmeal tend to have rather low cholesterol. So, Yeah, I'm, I've always loved oats, though. I mean, mm-hmm. I even loved oats then. And my second um, favorite is uh, legumes and beans. Right. That's so whole, essentially whole food carbs. Yeah. Right. And I think that's the key difference, you know, when we're talking about macronutrients. And you, you're more diligent, well, not even, you're, you're fairly diligent about counting things, right? Like macros and, and calories and whatnot, whereas I don't at all. I pay no attention to it. Yeah. Uh, um, and this is something that, that I, I have to be careful with because it can become to a point where you're just obsessed with it. Mm-hmm. And my justification at this point is, is that I'm expending so much energy in my running that if mm-hmm. I'm not careful, I can actually not eat enough Mm -hmm. and start to continue to lose more weight. Right. Um, And you don't want to lose any more weight. I don't want to lose any more weight. I'm at a very comfortable weight Mm -hmm. and it, 
if I lose more weight, I'm actually probably going to be losing more muscle and, mm-hmm. you know, things. It, it's just a negative mm-hmm. at this point. Mm-hmm. That's uh, a nice problem to have. I guess. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. It's actually, to be honest, more work maintaining mm-hmm. than it was losing. Interesting. Um, it's harder to keep your weight up than it was to take it off. It, it's harder to keep it balanced. I imagine I could, con- I could eat 10,000 calories a day and gain more weight, but I would find that And just in context, to be clear, because I want to sort of end this entire conversation talking about exercise, but yeah. um, just on average, how much do you run a week? On average, about 50 kilometers a week. And All right. So that's a significant amount. Right. And so the, just for anybody listening to that, I mean, it's not like you're not saying a plant-based diet makes it difficult to sustain weight. You're saying that you have to pay attention to sustaining your weight when you exercise a lot. Right. Yeah. I'm burning, in some cases, 2,000 calories in one run. Yeah. So I need Which to... Which is about a day's worth of food. <laughs> yes. About. Mm-hmm. Although, for me, it's less, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, you, we all have a basal metabolic, metabolic rate mm-hmm. that we just burn by doing nothing, sleeping in bed, and then we have a rate that, you know... We, we burn need, throughout the day. Burn throughout the day. Yeah. Um, and that, that's a fine balance. Mm-hmm. And, you know, once you find out what that is through calculations and, mm-hmm. and, and experience, then it's just a matter of trying to maintain that by making sure you eat enough, Mm-hmm. And if you're eating more than that, then you have to eat less of it. I went through the counting thing when I was fairly new because I took a lot of criticism for uh, being short on things, being short on protein, being short on iron, being short on zinc, being short on vitamin D, et cetera, et cetera. So mm-hmm. I found it was helpful when I started. Right, And at some point I realized, because I got tired of plugging all my stuff into the MyFitnessPal app, uh, you know, that I was getting everything every day without fail right. that was required in the human diet. Yeah. So it just got a bit mundane to track it. But did you, do you feel like, like, so for you it's more caloric? Is that sort of? Um, well, no, it's the, I, I, Yes, at this point, it's more about making sure I have an, I get enough food. Mm-hmm. I did track mm-hmm. whether I was getting all the nutrients I needed mm-hmm. by putting it into, um, I should probably find the app and tell you what it is. Mm-hmm. Let me find it. The app is chronometer or chronometer. Oh, I've heard of it, actually. Yeah. That's uh, fairly popular now. I don't think it was even around when I started Maybe not, but yeah. uh, it's 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 a really neat app in the sense that one, it's it's free for a certain level. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can get a, a paid version, I think, so that you can get better reports or something mm-hmm. like that. But it, it you don't have to pay for it to get the information to find out whether or not you're getting the right in- nutrients in your diet. Mm-hmm. You plug in the food you eat, it tells you whether you know all the vitamins you're getting, all the yeah. nutrients you're getting, everything, calcium, all that stuff, right. and it tells you whether you're deficient in it. Mm-hmm. And it, even the, the right down to the different types of protein. I think what is there? Twelve different types of protein. Yeah, well, there's nine essential ones. Nine essential ones. Okay. Yeah. And it 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 tells you all that. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I, right down to I know that I'm deficient in one certain type of protein. So right. where do I get more of that? I don't know. Right. Anyway, so 
I went through that and plugged it in there. And yes, I got tired of doing that because for the most part, I was getting everything I needed. Right. So now it's just making sure that I have enough calories in my diet to, to keep that balance. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't want to lose weight. Mm-hmm. Whether I gain a couple pounds is not a big deal. You know? Do you use a weight scale? I do, mm-hmm. but I recently upgraded it um, to something that also um, tells me what my lean body mass is. Mm-hmm. Because right now, um, that's more important to me mm-hmm. than my so-called weight Mm-hmm. It's my, whether I'm, I'm maintaining my lean body mass. Um, yeah, it's the same for me. I, I, we've talked about this, but yeah. I think um, it's important for me to see that if I lose weight during heavy training, that mm-hmm. it's fat rather than muscle. Right. And I don't know how, I mean, those scales are notoriously inaccurate, but they're consistently inaccurate. So they Right. So you have a benchmark at the beginning. Yeah. And that benchmark stays consistent throughout. Mm-hmm. So when you started on the plant-based diet, did you have internal fears that you were missing nutrients? And did you receive criticism from others that you were missing anything? Not so much criticism, but questions. Where do you get your protein? Mm-hmm. You know, like, that's the biggest question, I think. Is, is like, it protein? Yeah. yeah, I mean, I would, I would sit down in a group and we'd be eating food together and mm-hmm. somebody would, and ever, you know, they would come up and they'd say, well, well where do you get your protein from? Mm-hmm. Where's the pl- protein on your plate? Where, yeah. Where is it? Because there's not a not a piece of chicken on there. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, for the most part, we get protein from everything because there's protein in just about everything. I mean, mm-hmm. cows get protein just from eating grass. Right. Uh, but you know, we can get a good portion of our protein from nuts and legumes and mm-hmm. and and carbs. You know. <laughs> and I think that notion's changing now. Yeah. You know, I think that people are starting to wake up to the idea that protein doesn't just live in animal products. Right. Would you agree? Or like, I've noticed a big change for me, but I think in the last couple of years, I've definitely seen a shift of that attitude. Yeah. Um, I think that the whole attitude of whole food plants based has become a lot more accepted in the world. Yeah. Um, so, Mm -hmm. well then that's a good segue into talking about supplements. Okay. If somebody was considering uh, plant-based diet right with no animal products at all and they were asking for your advice what supplements would you tell them they need to use i think the only supplement that might be important would be the vitamin b12 right so that's the necessary one yeah and why why do we have to supplement that because typically vitamin b12 is a bacteria or comes mm-hmm. from bacteria that lives in the ground yeah um we as a race a human race used to eat things out of the ground a lot more mm-hmm. or we would uh, grow vegetables and maybe not wash them thoroughly or they didn't mm-hmm. have the insecticides on them and all that stuff i think we had a lot more dirt in our diet before mm-hmm. so that might be where and animals eat all the food mm-hmm. and that's where they get their their vitamin b12 from is from the ground yeah so people eating meat are getting that vitamin B12 through the, through yeah. the meat. So what's your response to the criticism then that the vegan diet isn't natural because you're required to supplement B12? Uh, there's a lot of not, of not natural things about eating meat too. Yeah. Um, I think that if we grew our own vegetables and didn't have to worry about washing them as much... Mm-hmm. Uh, and had good dirt and stuff like that, that we probably would get enough vitamin B12. 
It's just the commercialization of food is, has eliminated that from our diet. And I could be wrong, but that's my you know, thought. Um, I have a thought about that, about that. Okay. And my thought is, who cares? Like okay. We, it's 2019, and I, I challenge you to find one person in North America that is living a natural life. Like what we is are, natural? Well, we're all driving in cars, you know, we're watching YouTube and we're wearing synthetic clothes and we're, you know, on iPhones and we're in shopping malls and like, which none of us are natural anymore. It doesn't exist. And so the, it, you know, if, if the one thing that somebody can lean on, whether it's valid or not, that mm-hmm. the plant-based diet is, is horrid because we're required to supplement B12, I say let them have that win. Okay. L- let them have it. And, if that's their and, only reason for not going plant-based, yeah, that's, that's not a good enough reason in my books. And, you know, the only people that I know personally in my life that are B12 deficient, and another one that I hear commonly is uh, iron deficient, the only people that I know are actually deficient are my omnivore uh, relatives and friends, which isn't like, you know, that, so that's, you know, personal, those are personal examples. There's no... You can't, you can't sort of extrapolate science from that. But I'm, mm-hmm. I'm just saying I don't know any plant-based people that are B12 deficient. They're out there for sure. Right. But uh, I know some meat eaters that are. Oh, yeah, definitely. So I mean, what's the solution for them? To eat more meat? No, I think they need to supplement B12 as well. Right. Yeah. It, it's, I don't think there's enough B12. It's in a very important in how mm-hmm. our bodies and our cells work. Uh and if you don't have enough, it, it, it's very detrimental to your health. Well, I you think. can have permanent nerve damage. Yeah, right? exactly. So, so it's if, sort of the one supplement that I, I, I completely agree with you. If somebody was to say, I, I want to try a plant-based diet, what supplements do I need to do? My first thing that rolls out of my mouth is you need to take B12. Right. You know, sublingual dissolves under your tongue, right? Skips the entire digestion process. So do you take any other supplements? Well, I still take vitamin D. Okay. Yeah. Um, I do take a multivitamin, mm-hmm. uh, but I think that's more out of habit because I was taking it before. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I actually need it. It might be overkill. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm getting all the nutrients I need from my yeah. diet. So that's something I could probably stop taking. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't take one. No? No. I think that... Some vitamins, well, first of all, a lot of the vitamins we buy in the store, what we think is in them isn't actually in them. You know, you can read all these consumer report things, and a lot of them are essentially a whole lot of nothing. You're spending money on nothing. Well, And, you know, the other thing is that some vitamins you can get too much of, and that's a problem. Yes. And now you're getting a lot of certain nutrients just by eating a lot of vegetables. Right. So. Well, one of the things that I do know that as men... Mm-hmm. Male, we don't want to have too much iron in our bodies. Correct. Yeah. Um, so the supplement or the multivitamin I take doesn't have iron in it. Yeah. I yeah. think it's specifically designed for men that way. So I'm curious, when you interviewed me for your vlog, we didn't get too much into the ethical side of, and I'm going to bust out the word vegan, right. veganism. Well, I already did, but okay. Yeah. Um, we, didn't get it, we didn't really dive into that. And I know that for you, you started this whole plant-based journey for health. 
as did right. I. Right. Right. But what's your, what are your feelings now, three years later? Yeah, yeah. pretty much. Uh, uh, coming up, well, mm-hmm. uh, May of, of this year will be three years. Well, what are your feelings now on the whole ethics of veganism? Um, I, th- I agree with the ethics in the sense that I think not eating cows, not eating animals, one, they, they're, they're living beings. They have feelings. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you can use the example, would you eat your dog? Mm-hmm. Most people wouldn't. So, well, your dog is the same as a cow. In fact, mm-hmm. sometimes cows are smarter than some dogs. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I agree with that. I don't, I, there's no reason to cause harm to animals Mm -hmm. because they're sentient beings. Uh, and the fact that I'm contributing to one less steak in the world being eaten makes me feel a little bit better, Mm -hmm. but am I going to be somebody that, uh, stands in front of a, a, a truck full of pigs and tries to feed them water or, you know, make a big deal out of the fact that the rest of the world isn't vegan. No. Mm-hmm. Um, politically, I don't want to tread into that world. Mm-hmm. Um, if somebody else isn't vegan, fine, that's their choice. Mm-hmm. Um, that conversation is very awkward for me. Like, I, I, when I'm around non- non-vegan people, I... Um, often would prefer not to talk about veganism. And I'm talking about the... I'll talk about the health stuff. Right. But um, I would prefer not to talk about the ethics of it. Mostly because I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. But... Yeah. I mean, because, I mean, they they could view it as a judgment. Yeah. And I think they often do. And rightly so. And when I was a meat eater, I would have felt judged. For sure. Yeah. I think that some people are a little overly sensitive to stuff like that, though, mm-hmm. too. There was a moment for me when um, I became acutely aware of the ethics of veganism, and I actually remember the exact moment. Uh, I don't know if I ever told you this story, but I was parked at a, at a red light, and there was a billboard on the other side of the street, mm-hmm. and it was a, a, an ad for a fast food restaurant. Um, and they had a, a hamburger uh, on the on the billboard, a picture of a hamburger. Right. And I had been vegan for, I don't know, I'm going to say about a year. And I looked at the ad, and for the first time, I saw it differently. I didn't see a hamburger. I saw a dead cow. And I was actually traumatized. Like, I actually saw this dead creature... Mm-hmm. being advertised for sale for $3.99 or whatever it was. Right. That was meant to entice people to drive somewhere and eat that living thing that had been slaughtered and killed. And all of that all of that logic came rushing into my brain within seconds. And I know there's this notion out there called cognitive dissonance where we have where we do something for years and years that's a norm in our society and that everybody around us does and that you're just raised doing mm-hmm. and you accept it as morally correct right? because it's just what you do. But you never actually reflect back and look at it and decide if it fits within your own personal ethics. And I'm not saying or suggesting that 
people, uh, that everybody's ethics would align with how I felt looking at that billboard. Right. If they gave it some true thought, but I am arguing that most people never actually stop and give it any true thought, and I didn't right. until I had separated myself away from that world for a year, because even that first year of veganism, I never stopped and thought about anything other than the health, and it wasn't until that exact moment, staring at that thing, that it all came rushing into my psyche all at once. And I interesting. Did, did that ever? Did anything like that ever happen for you, or? You know what I would recommend everybody do? What's that? If you have the chance to take a tour mm-hmm. of a meat packing plant, mm-hmm. do it. Mm-hmm. I had the ability to go take a, take a tour of the meat packing plant. Mm-hmm. The only thing that I, we weren't allowed to view was the killing room. Mm-hmm. Why? I don't know. I think it was maybe it was an insurance thing. I don't mm-hmm. know. But we weren't allowed to view the killing room. We were told what happened in the killing room. And I've mm-hmm. seen video of what happens in a killing room. But I saw the cows still twitching, mm-hmm. hanging on hooks, coming mm-hmm. out of the killing room. Mm-hmm. And I saw cows with their skins being torn off their bodies mm-hmm. by machines because mm-hmm. they, they gather the, the hides mm-hmm. for leather, I imagine. And then I saw, I saw every part of the process. And in, in this tour, I'm actually walking through troughs of blood mm-hmm. with, in boot, with boots. Mm-hmm. And this happened long before I ever eliminated 100% meat from my diet. Do you I think st- if most people saw that, that they would just stop overnight? No, because I didn't. Mm-hmm. But it is something that is, it plants a seed plants a seed in your brain that mm-hmm. this is what we do as human beings right. daily. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of cows daily to get our food. And yet, you know, there's the outroar, outrage here when um, people kill animals that don't fit within our norms. So if I was to kill a horse and eat it, or in Asia where they kill dogs for meat, right? there's a lot of outrage about that. It's exactly the same thing. Yeah. You know, even I would say that this still makes me uncomfortable. I mean, I've been vegan uh, six years. Mm-hmm. And I still don't want to shout from the rooftops about this stuff. Because a lot of the people in the world that I love and respect are meat eaters. And I ate animals for 39 years. Right. And I know that they're great good caring people and so it's incredibly it's an incredibly awkward place for me to be okay well yeah i can i understand your perspective and this is one of the reasons why i choose to accept people's choices Mm -hmm. i mean they have chosen to to continue their their diet the way Mm -hmm. it is Mm -hmm. i'm not going to judge them right for something that i have decided to do right that they have decided not to do. They're just as much as a, a human being as me, and they have their own choices. Yeah. So they can choose, and I don't, I don't have to judge them for that. Yeah. So that's where I, I, I feel less uncomfortable that way. I'm not uncomfortable with their choices. Right. I'm uncomfortable with the conversation. Like, it's easy for me to talk to you because we're on the same page. Right. Right. And there's going to be lots of omnivores. I mean, if anybody listens to this, listening, listening to this, and I, I just want them to know that 
not every, you, you and I agree that veganism isn't helped by being milit militaristic about it. Right. Right. Um, but a lot of people would be shocked to, to know, I think most people when they look at me and maybe when they look at you, see a, a health-focused plant-based person. But I, I, think would, I hope so. A lot of people would probably be shocked to know that I have any feelings at all about the ethics of eating animals. And um, so it, to me, like the, it's a conversation I would rather avoid. It's kind of like me in politics. I would rather right. avoid talking about politics. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. I would much rather talk about veganism than politics. Would you? Yeah. Any day. Actually, I don't like talking about politics either. I, I found that it just creates a lot, especially nowadays in today's climate. Yeah. Yeah, it's a very heated thing. But there is a political side to mm -hmm. veganism. And that's what I yeah. would try and avoid talking about. I would just make it focused on health. Yeah, I think that's a much more positive message. And I really believe that change happens more being positive than yeah. being negative. Yeah. Um, it's a tough subject. And I think that um, one day in the podcast, I'd love to get an ethical vegan on mm -hmm. and talk to them about that. But, uh, you know, and I think that what a lot of ethical and environmental vegans are missing is the health component. And I have this feeling that, because it's very easy to be a junk food vegan, right? Yeah. I mean, especially it'd be, nowadays. It would be very easy to be a junk food vegan. Sure. And we'd eat lots of Ritz crackers. They're, yeah. they're vegan. Right. And uh, are they? <laughs> yeah, I didn't know are. that. They are. Um, and uh, Oreo cookies are famously vegan. Coca-Cola is vegan. Um, there's so many vegan ice creams and whatnot, like all kinds of stuff, right? Ice cream is vegan? Well, like coconut milk ones. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And... Um, but what I, what I feel about a lot of people that are ethical vegans is that um, their health suffers at some point because they, 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 they never focus on health. And it's actually like bad advertising for the movement, you know, because it sort of reinforces that, that cliche that, you know, you've got the anemic, you know, weak-looking, pale, skinny vegan, you know. I think that that, that view... Or mm -hmm. even that whole situation is becoming less so. Mm -hmm. I I think it's changing. You mean vegans are becoming more health aware? I think so. Yeah, yeah. Especially with younger people, like younger people, I think are much more health conscious than people of our generation. I'm I'm totally generalizing, but I notice that mm -hmm. around the young people I know, right? That they're just aware not only of the ethics and of the environmental reasons for doing things, but they're just you know, they're aware, of, and they're also more skeptical. They're more skeptical of advertisers, and because they've been advertised so heavily on the internet their entire lives, yeah. you know, that they they put a heavy burden of proof on advertisers. You know. Yeah, I, I would certainly hope so, but mm -hmm. I mean, I I guess I I haven't thought about that as yeah. much as maybe what you have. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I. I from the little bit of experience that I have with younger people and veganism, mm -hmm. I would agree with you. Let's talk about exercise because, you know, food is wonderful. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I, my thoughts on, on somebody listening to this and wanting to lose weight is that the message they should not get is that they have to go 100% plant-based. You and I, I know, both very much agree that perfection is a wasted effort. Definitely. So I would say, like, my, I, I'd love for you to give your final advice, but my final advice would be 
eat as many fruits, vegetables, beans, and whole grains as you can. Right. Eliminate as much processed food as you can. Mm-hmm. And if you feel the need to continue to eat meat and dairy and eggs uh, and fish, um, then just don't overdo it. That would be my take on on where to go with that, and yeah. that would be fine. If you if you settle on, you know, ninety percent plant based, that's pretty good, mm-hmm. right? And I have I have friends that that have vocalized and said, "Well, I'm not going vegan, but mm-hmm. I'm going to eat less meat. You know, instead of eating it every day, I'm going to eat it twice a week." Mm-hmm. I think that's that's even, amazing. That's awesome. Yeah, even meatless Mondays. If you yeah, just take sure. that little step. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, even that alone is a step towards the betterment of the world. Right. Okay, well, let's talk about running. Okay. Because I know that that's your passion. It has become so. Right. And you said you run 50 kilometers a week? The, I, I don't know what Ish. my Strava actually says, yeah. but it's at least 50 kilometers a week, yes. And do you run every day? Not every day. I take one day off a week uh, for, as a recovery day or a rest day, you want to call it. I mm-hmm. still end up moving most of the days. Um, I'll take a walk or do another type of workout, mm-hmm. CrossFit if you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm doing that throughout the week anyways. Um, so six out of the seven days a week, yes. And I really want to encourage people to go back and listen to the interview you did with me, which I thought you did a great job. But you talked in that interview about... Um, how you started running and you know your first race that you did the 10k sun run with your daughter mm-hmm. and so you know rather than have people listen to that twice if they listen to both i'm more curious about where you're at now with running because it's you've been running for uh how long i guess i've been running for two years now yeah yeah so how do you first of all how do you fit 50 kilometers a week or six days a week into your life where do you find the time i i don't find the time i make the time mm-hmm. um well for most people they have to get up and go to work mm-hmm. for me the easiest time of the day to fit running in is before that before breakfast yeah um so i get up and depending on how long my run's going to be i'll get up anywhere from 4 30 a.m to 6 a.m Mm-hmm. and get up and start running. What time do you go to bed? Typically, my bedtime is 10, but if I'm going to be getting up at 4.30 in the morning, my bedtime would be 8. Right, okay. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I have to plan ahead. Like, and interestingly enough, planning ahead, you know, now that I've thought about that, I'll lay out my clothes before the day, or before that morning, yeah. to prepare for that run, because it gives me that one step upwards in being able to say, okay, I'm going to go do this run. I do the exact same thing. Yeah. Yeah, I have to lay out all my stuff the night before. Everything's ready. So all I do is get out of bed and put it on. Right. And get out the door. Okay. Uh, Do you care how fast you are? Not really. No. Do you care how much, do you care that it's 50 kilometers a week? Like if it was 40 or 60, do you care? Sometimes when I get down to 30, I have to look at it and go, why did I, why did I only get 30? But mm-hmm. no, I don't care that much. Right. I think I'm conscious of it, mm-hmm. but it, I'm not going to beat myself up over it. I mean, it's, you know, so what? It's just a number. And you, and you mentioned that you're on Strava. Mm-hmm. 
So I'll put a link, but it's Sean Sherstone on Strava, right? Yes, it is. Yeah. Um, do you compare yourself to other athletes on Strava? I think I started to early on, you know, look at, oh, this guy's running this, this guy's doing that. But now I think it's, no, not really compare. I think it's more about, I think it's looking at it and going, oh, awesome for them Mm -hmm. that they are capable of such amazing things. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't mean I have to do that. Mm -hmm. I have my own goals and my own wants um, and I think I just have to stay focused on what I want and not try and emulate whatever but what somebody else is doing, climbing a mountain every day. Because it's irrelevant, right? Yeah. Like, you know, your runs have all to do with you. This is one of the beauties, beauties I think, of running, is mm-hmm. that, you know, you're only ever really competing against yourself. And that I do. I yeah. do compete against myself. But what other people do is irrelevant because... If I'm faster than you, mm-hmm. well, good for me, but Kipchoge's faster than me. Right. So good there's for him. There's always somebody faster. And there's going to be somebody who can run five times as long as he can. Mm-hmm. And there's going to be somebody that can climb more elevation in a month. Mm-hmm. And then there's going to be somebody who's an overall better athlete on a bike and in swimming. And so it, 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 it's futile to compare yourself to others. Yeah. I mean, it's, well, it's counterproductive, really. Mm-hmm. I think. And I think it's maybe a bit of friction for somebody who's wanting to start. Somebody who's listening to this and saying, well, I don't want to go on Strava and put that I walked five kilometers so because don't. Sean <laughs> ran 50 kilometers. Yeah. Yeah, or don't use Strava. Exactly. Right. You know, when I first started using Strava, I actually had it all private. I oh, didn't actually yeah. publicize yeah. any of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once I actually was more immersed into the world of running. Mm -hmm. That's when I started making it more public. I'll admit that like the, there's several appeals to Strava for me. One, I actually like the segments and I, and I do like going out and challenging myself, trying to trying segments, but I really don't care if I, if I get it, if I win the segment, you know, and, and for those that don't know, segments are, you compete against everybody else's on Strava to be the fastest in a certain stretch of road or trail or something like that. Right. It's still kind of cool if you get one. It's cool if you get one, but it's, it is still me competing against me because mm-hmm. I look at them and I go, I wonder if I can do that. And then, if I, and then say if I get third place, it's like, okay, that's how, what I did. And then the next mm-hmm. time I go out, I'm not necessarily trying to beat whoever's in second place. I'm trying to beat my third place time. Right. You know? I have my own segment that I made in Ladysmith. Do you? Yeah. 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 And... Um, the first time I made it was the fastest I've run it. I haven't been able to beat it yet. Right. Now, you're, you're rather famous locally for doing um, these mapped runs that show up on digital media like, like Strava right. as, as things like that you did a Minion one, which is maybe your first and most famous one even, but you've done others as yeah. well. So when GPS people, drawing. Yeah. So when people look at the map of your run, it actually comes up as something. It, right. It's like, yeah. So what, what made you start doing that? Was it just because that's you? Um. What made me actually start it is is that when when I started running w- with w- with you, mm-hmm. you actually um, said that I should join this uh, running group uh, on Strava, which mm-hmm. is it was the New Balance running group, mm-hmm. 
And that New Balance running group, they, at the time, were having, like, little contests. You can win a T-shirt or mm-hmm. you can win this. And I think that there was this, this one that I did for the making the GPS drawing was the contest was to run in the shape of something. Oh, I didn't know that. And that was a contest. Oh, and, okay. and you could win a pair of shoes. Yeah. And I'm assuming you won that pair of shoes. I did happen to win that pair of shoes, yes. <laughs> that was with the Minion? That was with the Minion. Yeah, well, how could they say no to that? Well, I, yeah, I, I don't know. They think they were really happy with the, the traction it got. Mm-hmm. It got a lot of traction. It was published in the newspaper, and mm-hmm. I think if you look up Sherstone Minion, you're mm-hmm. gonna, it's going to be on the Internet. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they were happy with that. And, um, yeah, so my wife likes Minions, and I needed something that was challenging, uh, and the minion itself was large enough that I actually had to go up and down a lot of the Ladysmith Hills because there's mm-hmm. a lot of hills in Ladysmith. And also I needed it large enough that I could make the drawing look realistic. Mm-hmm. So I mapped it out beforehand and made this minion. And, cool. and in the end, won the pair of shoes, mm-hmm. which I gave to my wife. Did you? Yeah. She needed a new pair of shoes for our walks. So if running is something that somebody wants to start, and they've never run a city block in their life. You know, where do they start? What What's the first thing they do? Have they walked? Let's say they're you, right. 120 pounds ago. Well, you start a walk. Mm-hmm. You don't start running. Mm-hmm. Um, I made the mistake early on of trying to run. And because I was so heavy, I actually hurt my back. Mm, okay. So um, I, I definitely don't recommend somebody try and run right off the bat. Okay. Walk, build, build up some, some stamina, build up, you know, the muscles that you're used to move. So start by walking. If you can, you know, walk five kilometers, then, and, you know, are, are a little bit lighter because mm-hmm. if you're, if you're over 250 pounds, mm-hmm. you might hurt yourself. Right. Um, and obviously get your doctor's advice whether or not you should or shouldn't be doing something like that. Right. But, uh, yeah, start by walking. Right. And then well, walking is really running just slower at, at the slowest possible speed. Right. Right. Well, when you're running, you put a lot more pressure on your joints. Yeah. Like I think it's three, three, three up to three times your body weight or more. more I don't than, know. It's, it's, it's more than maybe your it's body 15 weight. times your body weight. No. Anyways, so how, you know, so I would say, okay, start walking. And then when, when you feel like you're ready yeah. and there's nobody that can tell you when you're ready, when yeah. you yourself feel like you're ready, that's when you can start running. And what you want to do is just run a hundred meters mm-hmm. and then walk and then run a hundred meters and then walk and then build that up. Maybe the next day you do, or the next week you do 200 meters mm-hmm. and just slowly build it up. And, and really it's a slow progression mm-hmm. because if you do it too much, you're going to hurt yourself too much at once is just asking for trouble. Even when we, you know, I built up to 50 kilometers. Mm-hmm. I didn't start that. I was doing, you know, I would do maybe two kilometer runs every day instead of so my rolling out the door right now if you're on the sofa and trying mm-hmm. to do 50 kilometers would be a massive mistake. I think that you would seriously hurt yourself. Right. Yeah. And then you would never do it again mm-hmm. because you would have injured your, you would get shin splints or something. 
this is a maybe a, a good circle back for somebody who might still be wondering about what we talked about when we started about you know uh, we uh, we talked about how how do people keep going mm-hmm. there's one way to sort of sabotage your progress is to go too big too fast too hard definitely that's yeah. not only with running but it's with diet as well yeah yes definitely yeah, yeah. um what about gear do they need to go to the running store and get all the shiny spandex clothes and the shoes right away like certainly not clothes yeah well you should be running in something yeah but you don't need anything special yeah um shoes i think that that's somewhat important you don't want to be Mm -hmm. running in uh in something like a flat Mm -hmm. boat shoe Mm -hmm. that might hurt your foot a little bit more so um, funny enough, when I started walking, I actually got really bad blisters, mm. but I think it was just my feet weren't used to doing anything and I'm walking with a lot more weight too. So yeah. I got really bad blisters. Um, so the first thing I bought was a pair of shoes yeah. that was a little bit better than what I had. Um, so I think if somebody was going to buy any gear, it would be a good pair of shoes. I think one of the most beautiful things about running is that it's, it's very simple in in what you need right right it doesn't require a lot of equipment and you can kind of do it anywhere pretty much yeah you can do it in your backyard if you really wanted to yeah so what are you training for right now uh well there's two one major thing that that i'm training for and that's the six hour ultra the cedar ultra Mm -hmm. and that's in june i think Mm -hmm. yeah um so what that means is that we're going to be running six hours and you run as far as you can in six hours. You know what I like about that race? And I think a lot of people would, this would be a major turnoff for them. And I'm doing it as well as you, right. is that it's about a three and a half kilometer loop. Right. And you just do it endlessly within the allotted time. It's not endlessly. Well, you just keep doing it over and over and over and over again right. until time runs out. Right. And... If you ask a lot of people, they would say, that sounds horrid. Mm-hmm. But for me, the mental challenge of that is oddly appealing. It, interesting you say the mental challenge. Uh, for me, it's actually very, very meditative. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. five times around, you're in a different world. Yeah. And your mind is thinking about things, everything else except the actual run. Mm-hmm. Except maybe the hill coming up. Yeah. <laughs> And you're doing something locally we call the Island Series right now. I am, yeah. That's something that I decided to do as well. Um, mm-hmm. Partly because up until this year, I didn't feel like I was ready to really race, or mm-hmm. in quotes, race. Yeah. I mean, I've been in races before, but I never really pushed myself to a point where I would consider it racing. It was just more about participating in the race yeah. uh, and running what I was, what it was a comfortable speed. Mm-hmm. Um, so now, uh, I decided that I would get into the Island series as a series of eight races mm-hmm. and they ramp up and then down. Mm-hmm. So they start out, I think, what was the first eight, one? Eight K yeah. and it ramps up to a half marathon, which is 21.1 kilometers kilometers. And then I think it ramps down all the way down to five kilometers. Yeah. So I decided that I would participate in that because I felt like I was ready to push myself a little bit harder and uh, race a race, mm-hmm. pushing past. That's a lot the... different from what you've been doing because before, like you said, you were participating. Exactly. Right. Well, 
so these island series, they're all road races, and they attract a rather fast group of athletes. I'm finding that, yes. Yeah. So, um, and you're racing for the first time, really, like mm-hmm. putting in your hardest efforts. Yeah, I mean, at least 90% anyways. Do you, do you find that at all intimidating going no. into those races? You don't? No. No. Um, I'm not intimidated by somebody that's faster than me. Right. I'm inspired by it, but not intimidated. Okay. Yeah. Um, for somebody who's new and showing up at a race, Mm -hmm. do you have advice for them on how they can get over the sort of possible intimidation factor? Well, I think one focus on where you are in your own journey. I mean, it's it's really, it should be about you, not everybody else. And yeah. don't worry about somebody else that runs farther, faster, anything. I mean, you are in your own journey and you need to concentrate on that. Yeah. That's the first thing. And second, you know, really, it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks of you. Mm-hmm. I mean, the fact that you're even there is going to, they're going to look at you and go, great, there's mm-hmm. another runner. Truthfully, they're probably not thinking about you. Probably not. They're thinking about themselves. Yeah. Yeah. And, and how, how much pain they're going to endure them for the race. <laughs> and on that subject, again, people should go back and listen to the interview you did with me because we talk a lot about pain and suffering. And we do, yeah. In no sense, rehashing it here. Yeah. Um, okay, well, I want to finish by talking about your decision to start a vlog and a podcast and also which i think is related but you can tell me if it's not Mm -hmm. your decision to recently begin to shift your career and sort of undergo changes in your life that have nothing to do with running or diet or or less to do you know there it feels to me like you're that you've you've almost like graduated from the school of of nutrition and fitness, and mm-hmm. now you're working on other stuff. I think it's all interrelated. Um, when I was sitting on the couch and had decided that I was going to get, you know, start walking to work, um, I did mention that I thought you know it'd be nice, be kind of nice to, to have a YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. And you know, you see YouTube channels of people actually documenting their journey. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't that's one of the things I struggled with a lot was the fear that one, I'm too old two, nobody's really going to care about my journey. Mm -hmm. I just, all these, you know, internal voices of self doubt. So Mm -hmm. I never did do that, but I had it in my head that I wanted to. So I think that, um, I just had to visualize it a lot more before I actually did it. And that's one of the things that, that, you know, all the changes in my life mm-hmm. that have happened recently have been through visualizing where I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. I visualize myself as wanting to be doing interviews um, with a camera. I, I, you know, I had to come up with a, a format in my head, but I at least visualized sitting down with somebody and talking to them. Mm-hmm. And I visualized where I am today in my body form, and I visualized where I am today in moving my body mm-hmm. all those things that are and where i am today were because i sat there and thought this is what i, what I would like and mm-hmm. i pictured myself that way mm-hmm. 
Um, and that was, I think, a really big, um, a, a lot of uh, springboard mm-hmm. to, to, to make me get there a lot quicker and easier and actually get there instead of giving up. Well, I have to comment quickly on something you said about uh, said about three minutes ago, and then and then I'm going to follow up. And then, uh, you said that you you were older and you didn't think that people would want to want to watch. Yeah. And I mean, the truth is, I mean, probably you know, eighteen year olds are looking for kids that are similar age or young people that are similar age, right? right? But that whole statement forgets the notion that a lot of people that are our age mm-hmm. are looking for somebody that's similar to them. Right. That has undergone the change that they're wanting to make in their life. Oh, exactly. So there, there's yeah. absolutely an audience for people of every age group and gender and, you know, no matter who you are. Mm-hmm. Right. So I, I sort of like to dispel that myth because I think that, you know, there's going to be people out there that are sort of a middle-aged man that are, that don't want to listen to an 18 year old YouTuber talk to them about kale and running. Right. Right. That's the first time we mentioned kale. It is. <laughs> oh, no. That's even worse than vegan, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so, but I, I know, like, similar to food and exercise, that there's a lot of people out there, and I've had this in my life, and I sense that you were there, too, that um, are maybe not entirely satisfied with their life on right. some level. They might be working in a desk job that they don't like, they might be, or any career that they don't like, but they feel an obligation or a sense of, uh, a, a sense of the, the, the requirement and that they have to get that paycheck, that they have to show mm-hmm. up, that they have to be a diligent soldier in the, in, in the work that they do. And even though they're not happy, they'll put that, they'll put that aside. Mm-hmm. And then there's sort of this notion that we should forego all that and throw caution to the wind and, and chase our dream jobs or that we're not self-actualized if we don't have this job that's like this storybook too. And right. I'm not sure how realistic that is, but it, it seems like that you were that person. Well, and, 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 and you've decided to make a change. Yeah. I mean, call it a midlife crisis. Instead of buying a sports car, I made my body into a sports car. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, think I sensed the title of the, this podcast. We <laughs> talked about turning your body into a car earlier. Yeah, uh, yeah I mean, yeah, I, I think that maybe that's really what it was, was that I was starting to feel older and feeling like I was going to die. And I right. thought I had to do something about it. Um, and changing my career, I think that... Over the last 15, 20 years, I've learned that I have to manage stress in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, stress is the worst thing that could ever be in my life. And managing stress, the biggest way to, to manage it is to have control over what I want to do. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm working towards is control over what I want to do. And what I want to do right now is interview people for, for YouTube. So if somebody's, uh, you know, listening to this right now and they are unhappy with their, their job or their situation in life and they, should they just throw caution to the wind? Should they? No. 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 No, that would be a bad thing because, you know, caution to the wind, you know, you, you may, may not be able to pay your bills. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I think that there has to be some risk. Mm-hmm. You know, you need to take some risk, but, you know, take it again, slowly. Mm-hmm. S- move towards what your goals are slowly. Um, and if you're working at a job that's, you know, paying your bills, you don't want to totally quit it or at least find something else that's going to pay some of those bills while you yeah. transition into something else. Yeah. Um, you hear about people doing that, throwing caution to the wind and uh, mm-hmm. being what so-called overnight success, even though that's no such thing. Mm-hmm. Usually overnight successes are 10 years of, of, of build-up. Yeah, people that toil in anonymity for 10 years and then everyone recognizes they've done something cool and thinks it happened overnight. Exactly. Right. Um, so even then, I, I think it was a gradual thing. You just don't, you don't see it from the outside that way. So no, I definitely wouldn't, wouldn't uh, advise mm-hmm. that. Um, put your foot in the water first. Or you put toe, you know, put your toe in the water and test the waters. Yeah, I had that as a photographer, and uh, you know, you and I are both photographers, so we had that in common. But mm-hmm. I remember when I started, I felt that there was a stigma out there. To first of all, I had to do it for money. Right. And then once I started doing it for money, mm-hmm. if I wasn't doing it full time as my only job, that I wasn't legitimate. And what I learned later after I really did commit to being a photographer was that there is no right amount of being a photographer. You can do it as a hobby. Mm -hmm. You can do it for part-time cash or you could do it as a full-time photographer. And all of those three things still have you being called a photographer. Right. And I think that if you're, um, you can extrapolate that to every journey as far as career goes, because a lot of us identify with our careers which may or may not be what we need to do. But, um, you know, if you want to get into... I met this guy years ago when uh, that was just down the hall from my photography studio, and he was a shoe cobbler. Mm-hmm. And he actually had a professional job doing something else. Right. And I just happened to walk down the hall and saw this person working in this office. It was always a mystery to me because it was almost always closed. Right. And I peeked my head in and there was this guy that I knew in this professional capacity uh, making shoes <laughs> and that he designed himself and they were fantastic. Wow. And he had been doing it on the side for forever. And that didn't make him any less of a shoe cobbler. It just sort of added a richness to the story around his life. Right? Yeah. And he could have quit his other job. Mm-hmm. and probably done fairly well just seeing what he was doing with those shoes. They were amazing, and the prices that he was getting from them were were quite high. But he he did it to the level he was comfortable with, and I still think it's positive change, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Also not to turn somebody off from, from jumping in, but I don't know. You, you found that... Did you, did you quit your old job? Well, I worked um, in, in the computer industry. Yeah. And I had worked in the computer industry probably for about 12 to 15 years before that. Mm-hmm. And I had gotten tired of that industry um, for many, many reasons, but I had just gotten tired of it. Um, I, need, I needed a change. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I envisioned myself having a little bit more, more control over what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And one way to do that would be to find a job that, you know, pays okay, work at it to fill in the gaps, and then use the 
one extra day a week that I gave myself because now mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I, I have three days to myself. Yeah. Uh, instead of the two. Mm-hmm. Um, so that one extra day gives me that ability to, you know, push a little bit further into other things. Right. So you're going insensibly. Um, maybe yes, maybe no. I don't know. I mean, right. I, I did give up. I, I'm not making the same amount of money now from my part-time work mm-hmm. that I was when I was in the computer industry. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, the things are tighter. Mm-hmm. But for me, it's um, it's something that is important because if I don't give myself that time to to do the things that I want to do, I'm never going to be able to get there. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, they, it wasn't happening when I was working, you know, 40 hours a week. And this goes back to your original feeling that you had years ago when you envisioned yourself essentially dying, having not done stuff that you wanted to do. Yeah. I think that that's part of it for sure. Yeah. So to wrap up, if you, if you could give the one minute elevator talk to somebody that's listening, that's contemplating change, whether they're overweight or whether their health is poor or whether they wanted to change their diet or exercise or maybe mm-hmm. change something else in their life, where, what would you tell them? What would, what would be your, what would be your pitch? Does it have to be one minute? No, it can be as long as you want. This is a podcast. <laughs> or as short as I want. Yeah. I think that the, the, the really key things is one set, set sights on something. Um, because if you don't have something to work towards, um, then you probably won't get anywhere. So one, set some sights on something and two, do it slowly because if you do it too quickly, you're, you're asking for either to hurt yourself or to fail. And there's nothing wrong with failure. I mean, I failed and failed and failed again throughout my whole life. But if you work at something slowly and slowly introduce it, you have a lot better chance of, of succeeding at it. So those two things are really the, the biggest advice that I would give. And three, do a lot of research. You know, find, find people that are interested in the same thing. Um, be part of a community of people that are interested in the same thing, that, that are already there. I mean, one of the things that, that it's important is, is that the, the people that you surround yourself with are the, are the people that are going to change your life. Mm-hmm. So if you surround yourself with a bunch of people that don't want to do anything with their life, mm-hmm. you're going to not do anything with your life. Mm-hmm. So if you're surrounding, like in the case of running, mm-hmm. I mean, we surround ourselves with runners and we, we run in a community and that community builds us up as individuals and us as individuals build up that community. So surrounding ourselves with runners, surrounding ourselves with people that are of the same interest gives you that much more ability to succeed in it mm-hmm. because it just, everything is, we, we are a community, the world, like we're all connected in some way. Um, and that's important. And so, you know, those three things are the biggest. So start slow and have intention. Yeah, start mm-hmm. slow and definitely have intention because without intention, you're flying around in the wind. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Sean. Thank you. I enjoyed that. Thanks, Neil. Hopefully somebody listens to that and gets something that is a catalyst for their own change. Yeah, I hope so. All right. And that's it. That's it.
All right. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you really enjoyed that. I know I enjoyed talking with Sean. Next up, I'm going to have some interviews with not only my wife, who is also a plant-based superstar and somebody who very much keeps me on track, but also lots of other guests and not just about plant-based eating. It's going to be about um, athletes and about life changes and all that sort of stuff. I have lots of interesting people that I'd love to interview and some of them I haven't even asked yet, but uh, hopefully they don't say no and I'm excited about doing this. I hope you're enjoying it. If you'd like to find more about Sean, you can find him on podcasts, any podcast uh, forum. It's uh, look under Invent Sean and also on YouTube under Invent Sean. And you can follow him or subscribe or whatever you like. I'll put some links in the show notes to all the things that we talked about. Thanks again for tuning up and tuning in, I should say, and have a great day.